Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Web3 Quickbuy podcast. The podcast, as you know, where we jump to the latest beats in the decentralized world and chat with some of the brilliant minds in the Web3 industry. I'm your host, Olabisi. And today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Ali Madhavji, Managing Partner at Blockchain Founders Fund and noted Blockchain 100 Global Leader. When it comes to the crypto revolution, few have their pulse on the latest as tightly as Ali. As managing partner of Blockchain Founders Fund, he's an early backer of boundary-pushing startups. He eats, sleeps, and breathes Web3, advising industry everywhere to like INSEAD and the UN on digital transformation and publishing books decoding blockchain. Simply put, our guest lives and breathes the stuff. We'll be chatting with him today on everything from riding out bear markets to finding diamonds in the rough in this turbulent crypto landscape. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Hali Madhavji. Hi Hali, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great to be here. It's quite exciting to have you. So, um, but first, before diving into market swings and startup dreams, I would like to ask you to share what initially into your passion for blockchains, I mean, the world changing potential as we know it, and what inspired your journey into this space? That's a re- really great question, right? And, you know, personally believe that blockchain is one of these transformational ch- technologies that really revolutionizes and changes the world, right? I think we live in a world where there's oftentimes a lack of transparency, a lack of understanding why things happen or even why things don't happen. And I think blockchain as a core technology, right? It's this fundamental technology that helps and enables essentially uh, multi-parties to basically do an unlock value together by basically solving a trust issue between them. And I think this solves a lot of different problems in society. It's also, you know, when you boil it down, uh, essentially the first technology to basically move or transfer value effectively in a digital age. And so I think this becomes core to everything that we do. And so once, you know, that fully clicked in, um, you know, and after I'd already gotten involved in the space, decided to move full-time into the space now uh, about seven years ago. And it's been quite a journey. We now have uh, over 100 portfolio companies in the Web3 space and continue to back incredible entrepreneurs that help to achieve this vision of, you know, a better, brighter world and more transparent for everyone. Awesome. So I would say um, it's been a great experience so far, if I can put it that way. Absolutely. I mean, it, it hasn't come without its ups and downs, right? So, I mean, we've been through many down markets, but e- even as we're seeing through this one, you know, I think it's been an incredible time to just find, you know, many people that are extremely passionate about this space, many developers that continue to build incredible products that, you know, the world's going to really see the full potential and the full power of once there becomes a lot more attention on the space. But for investors like us at Blockchain Founders Fund and many other, you know, great funds in the space, there's a huge opportunity to go back to these founders in these types of markets, right? When things are a bit quieter, when, you know, it's it's not booming markets, although that's starting again over the past month. Um, you know, so I think it's a really great time to be back in great founders in these types of down markets. Right, great. So um, speaking of the down market and investments, right, that's going to bring me to my first question for you. And out the crypto market are taking a downtown, uh, are taking a downturn, sorry. So how has the investment landscape for blockchain startups changed? And um, what key advice do you have for founders who are trying to fundraise in this climate? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to share a little bit of a a broader sort of insight over the last couple of years across venture capital, which includes sort of three. So so about a year and a half, two years ago, we started already to to see a downturn coming in the market. And, you know, so post FTX, you already saw, you know, bigger and bigger corrections or some catalysts even before that. And 
what we ended up seeing was a lot of, and, and at the same time you had public markets, you know, really go down for, for startups. You had a lack of new, say IPOs, uh, cause the, the market wasn't so hot anymore. Right. So what you actually had was, you know, series A, B, C investors, which are sort of like mid to later stage investors, uh, essentially pull back and because they pulled back, but they weren't able to just completely stop investing. They started investing earlier and earlier in that in that value chain, right? So they started investing at seed, early Series A deals, even when they were typically later stage funds. And so what that what what that meant was over the last year, we actually saw valuations increase about a year ago on pre-seed and seed deals, which was very interesting. Because valuations on public markets or late stage deals got cut by 60, 70, 80%. So valuations going down at later stage, but valuations going up at earlier stage. And so it became very difficult for a lot of uh, other funds to be deploying. And, 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 and we saw that even firsthand where we didn't necessarily see the value oftentimes in a quicker deployment cycle. And so what that meant was Many funds uh, slowed down their deployment. They took longer with due diligence, was much more careful on bets that they were making. And so you saw an overall slowdown across early stage VC then over the last year. Now, I think in particular from our data, you know, we've seen that now start to shift in the last, say, 60 to 90 days. And you know, we look at just for contacts, we look at, you know, oftentimes 400 to 600 companies a month. We're looking at a lot of different companies. And what we've seen right now is valuations have now started to normalize or correct on pre-seed and seed stage deals to make a lot more sense. We're seeing a lot more investors starting to deploy over the last, you know, 60 to 90 days. A lot are still like slower, but we're going to see that, I think, over the next few months, that's going to increase, I think, fairly quickly. But, you know, even even for us now, we're doing the most deals that we've done, you know, in any month, probably this month, right? So we're actually increasing the pace because we're finding a lot of really great deals of founders that have just, you know, been doing the right things, focused on you know, how do you grow customers? How do you, you know, limit burn and how do you stay lean while still growing and doing the right things on, you know, the product, the sales, and the BD side. And, you know, we're going in that and saying, hey, we love this. Let's see if we can help you, you know, partner here and make this, you know, move better, faster, stronger. And we're writing checks into companies like this where we're seeing a lot of value, a lot of founders doing the right things even though maybe the entire market hasn't fully recognized that yet. Um, and so the advice for founders that you were asking about, I think it's really about doing a lot of those core things right. And so like as a, as a good founder, you can't just be focused on fundraising. You really got to be focused on, you know, making sure product and timeline and deadlines are on track there. You're building features that your customer wants and they love the product. And then really building out a pretty comprehensive sales pipeline and and continue to always be enhancing and building on that and then work on that conversion ratio through to making sales or onboarding customers, et cetera. And when you're doing those fundamental things right, right now, and then just paint that picture very clearly for investors on, this is what we're doing. These are our numbers. You know, we're seeing them go up. 10% month over month, 20% month over month, 30%, whatever that number is, I think it makes it very easy right now for venture capital firms. You know, once you reach out and reach out to us, reach out to other firms in the space, it actually makes it quite easy for, for VCs to get on those types of calls. And we're seeing more time spent right now by good VCs on calls with founders that are able to show these things. And even we're hearing it from founders every day that they're finding, even though everyone's saying this market's harder to raise in, in a lot of ways, it's easier because VCs are very particular on the deals they want to see in terms of they want to see growth. They want to see the right things happening on the product and BD side. And if that's happening, like you'll definitely be having VCs that want to get on calls with you and want to see more and learn more 
uh, and then potentially interested to invest. So we're seeing more of this. We're seeing a lot more deployments, and it's speeding up a lot right now in the past few months. Right. That's that's actually a, a detailed answer. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. All right. So um, as a follow-up question to what you said, so I'm just curious. Do you think um, fundraising will increase during the bull market? Will it increase in the bull market? It, it always increases in the bull market. I think the best founders, you know, have been building through this bear market, you know, our unsung heroes don't really get the recognition, weren't maybe able to raise rounds during this last year, year and a half, or only like small bridge rounds, small safe checks, things like that. But, you know, that's getting recognized right now by a lot of investors that are already starting to come in. And I think it's still this, the starting point of a lot of VCs coming back into the market, you know, more effectively. Right. Like a lot of VCs had limited the amount of investments they were doing over the last year. Um, but we're seeing that pick up a lot right now. And it's really going to continue to increase as markets, you know, get better. Um, but this is sort of a great time for VCs to be investing. And in, in my opinion, a great time for founders to be raising. I mean, there's there's a lot of areas that we look at across the blockchain sector. Right. So, I mean. We've got about 25 open South thesis where we think there's major problems in the Web3 space or major opportunities and no market leader or a beachhead for someone to, you know, scale and grow a product on those areas. I mean, some areas in particular that have been popular recently or that are going to be popular recently, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about intent-based trading as an example, which is, you know, essentially being able to specify your intentions of what you want to do. So like, for example, if something happens to X asset, whether that's Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other asset, I want to do Y. And so there's sort of an order of events or sequence of events. That's actually been very popular and sort of enabled by blockchain right now with intent-based uh, trading protocols. And this is going to be a bigger concept sort of at least over the next you know few quarters. So this is an interesting space. I think you're seeing a really big push right now around abstraction layer in Web3. I mean, everyone knows that the space has been overly complex for the average user. It's not easy to navigate. And so abstraction layers, making things easier, not having to see all of these different, you know, tools and wallets and gas fees and all of those things that sort of front and center and being able to abstract as much of it away as possible it is, is a very interesting area. Um, so we're seeing things like that. Uh, we're seeing a lot of other really, really cool things, though. I mean, we're we're doing investments right now on things that are around the carbon side, right? And and leveraging blockchain on real world applications around carbon. Um, you know, we've got a lot of problems right now on the on the DeFi side, so decentralized finance, where in reality yields make no sense, right? I mean, you got to take a lot of risk in the Web three space to get six, seven, eight percent yields. Whereas traditionally, I mean, if you go into the real world, getting five, six, seven percent is pretty much risk free. And with very low risk, you can sort of achieve eight to ten percent. And so this is a, a big challenge right now for for DeFi and 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 a lot of new money coming into Web3. And so, you know, solving the real world asset connection of, you know, bringing yields from the real world onto uh, different chains in the industry is going to be a, a big thing and already becoming a big thing uh, right now. So we're seeing a big movement around that. That's just a few areas that are uh, interesting, but we've got a lot of other areas because we invest, you know, all across the industry. Yeah, um, you mentioned that um, about how Web3 is difficult to navigate. And I've also, I've also had my own fair share too. I mean, when I'm talking to people about Web3, they're like, okay, how exactly do I do this? Why is this sounding so difficult for me? I have to do this, I have to do that. And I have to sit them down. I have to start explaining, this is how this works, that is how that works. Even at that, it still comes across as complicated and challenging. And so I think, um, I don't know if I'm right, but I think it's um, one of the reasons why we still don't have uh, a lot of people in the Web3, in the Web3 space yet because of the um, complexities that surrounds it and how difficult it is for them to navigate, things like that. But yeah, um, like you mentioned, there are people who are working behind the scenes trying to make this easy for people. And 
And then you. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot that's needed, right? I mean, there's so much opportunity in this space, and it and it starts all the way from the development side, right? So it's not only complex on the consumer side or end consumer; it's also complex through the entire value chain, essentially, all the way to the development side, because. You know, even for developers, there's not enough good tools to develop what they need. And so, like, for example, we recently invested in a company called Uniblock that's aggregating all of the top Web3 dev tools or like APIs into one API. And so think about when a developer needs to start building something. If they need to integrate 10 products and it takes, you know, two weeks, three weeks to integrate each one, that's already half a year or more right? Just integrating all of these products. But now with something like Uniblock, you could do it in, you know, one week or less, and you can have all of these different tools, just click one button to turn them on and up. And these are the types of things that are going to simplify things on the development side. And then you go further to the consumer side, and it's about how do we continue to simplify stuff on the consumer side, right? So, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity here for great products to just, you know, continue to come in and simplify and make this, you know, easier for consumers. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's loads of opportunity in Web3. And then, I mean, for anyone who is thinking of um, creating the next big thing, I think they should look towards that side and see how they can simplify things, both on the development side and the consumer side. So, um, moving further, as an early believer in the potential of blockchain, what are your predictions for where we'll see the most impact and adoption over the next three to five years? Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, right? Um, I mean, the, the good thing about sort of what we do is, you know, we basically have these hypotheses uh, or very specific sort of hypotheses around different areas that we think can emerge, right, and, and can win. And a lot of these may be even contrary to what the general market thinks, right? So take, I mentioned sort of like intent-based trading. I think this is a very interesting area, not only for Web3, but if you think about traditional over-the-counter markets for, you know, anything from stocks to futures, derivatives, um, I think there's huge opportunities around this. When you take you know, tokenizing real world assets, we think there's a huge opportunity around financial assets. So specifically bonds, treasuries, um, you know, debentures, these types of things. We think there's really interesting markets to start to enable uh, types of assets in a more, you know, friendly way, in a more easy way on chain. I think there's really, really cool things here. I think when you take, um, you know, some of the other biggest problems in this space, it's, you know, what are the real world applications of blockchain, right? Like how does, how does this actually change the world that we all live in without us needing to think about blockchain, but like it just being in the palm of our hands or it being something that we don't even realize, but it's impacting and part of our everyday life. And I think that's where, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work, but a lot of opportunity. And I'll give, I'll give some examples that it's not things we typically think about, right? So take, take for example, pets in the pet industry. So say your dog, your cat, you know, any other pets that you might have at home. You know, we don't think about how difficult it is when you've got to track, say, like vaccine certificates or you know, uh, different shots that the, that, the, that the pet has had. And when you try to go to groomers or you try to go to uh, a dog daycare, a pet daycare, and they need to see these, it's kind of complex. It's all on paper. You know, we've seen this as a pretty big issue. Um, and so we've got a company called Patastic that's actually working on pet ID. And so think about, you know, almost like human health records and digitizing it, but without all the complications around like, human privacy law, right? And so this makes it a lot easier of a solutional launch. And so they've actually been working on this uh, for a while. And they recently, uh, in the last few months, they've put almost almost half a million pets on chain. So wow. this, yeah, this is huge, but it's not something you think about, but it's going to make your life a lot easier when you think they're all, they're all verifiable. You know, so I think there's, Things like this that we don't think about, but they have huge, huge impacts. 
Um, and there's countless, I think, other examples around this. When you take gaming, you know, it's been a sector that's not so hot right now in, in the Web3 space. But, you know, we still look at gaming as being a, a way to unlock a ton of value for people all around the world. I mean, there's, you know, more than a billion gamers at this point, um, you know, all around the world. And this is something where everyone's putting their time into these different games, products, platforms, and they're not retaining any value. None of that's really getting shared. They're not able to own those assets. And we think that, you know, this is actually going to be critical to the next major revolution on the gaming side. But in particular, there's still some issues in Web3, right? So, you know, if these assets get popular in these games, it gets very expensive to join these games. So it becomes its own barrier to entry when the price of these assets keep going up. And so we think there's interesting opportunities around, you know, uh, smart contract based rev share uh, protocols in gaming and things like this that, you know, we think are huge opportunities in the space uh, that we want to see, you know, more and more games integrate these types of products to, to help change the industry. And we, you know, we recently invested in a company in that space called Nifty Arcade. Uh, but, you know, always open to seeing who else has interesting solutions to solve these types of problems. Right. Awesome. I mean, I would never have think in a million years that um, about the pet, the pet idea, I would never have thought about it in like a million years. So that is actually quite impressive. At over 500,000 already, that's, um, that's really, really impressive. Yeah. Let's start. We've got to start doing, you know, millions and then tens of millions, right? Yeah. I know, right? Like, I'm just trying to imagine that. What was the thought process like? I mean, that was stop taking some real thinking. Just sit down and come up with a brilliant idea. And now they're already uncovered a market that no one ever thought of about doing in a website space. Actually, quite impressive. Wow. Wow. And so, um, you said earlier that you have about 200 to 400 companies reaching out monthly, right? Uh, yeah, generally about four to six hundred. Oh wow! Oh wow! All right. So, um, what are the hallmarks of a truly exceptional blockchain startup team and founding story? I mean, what gets you excited as an investor? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, you know, I think I think there's a there's a number of different things. With all of your standard things, like you know, we do want to see a strong tech team. We want to see like a pretty clear vision for where you think you're going. We want to see ideally traction on the product or like a strong pipeline around this. But, you know, at the end of the day in this market, I think if you can show that, you know, in a market that's not growing, you're able to go out there and start growing and get customers, you know, even if you're making small dollars, but able to show, you know, consistent improvement, improving your processes, you know, being able to, you know, even be able to grow and scale without a ton of capital because it is difficult to say go raise in this market. You know, there's VCs, including us and and some others and some angels in the space that are willing to go make, uh, you know, a first bet on you or uh, or even come in quite early into companies, even before a lot has fully been proven out, even before there's fully product market fit. And I think being able to show that clearly and uh, demonstrate that is very important. I think one challenge that I see a lot of is startups don't share this information clearly enough. I think you need to get out of the weeds and just look at very clearly, like, who is my customer? How am I making progress on it? And like, and then make sure you're essentially sharing that, right? Uh, and and oftentimes it's convoluted in a lot of other information you know, slide decks that are 20, 25 slides. I mean, honestly, we'll, we even look at, you know, some startups that got, you know, only a few slides or sometimes they don't even send us a slide deck and they just send us, you know, a written uh, couple pages on the company in, in writing. And there's not even a, a slide deck or a pitch deck. And that's fine for us because, you know, we want to see that you're doing real things, going and driving value. Um, and that's sort of the biggest you know, single biggest thing a founder can do right now is to showcase that. And that makes it a lot easier for any VC to hop on a call um, and sort of, you know, learn about your business. 
Awesome. So um, let's talk about advising um, startups. So when advising some of these blockchain startups, what are the most common pitfalls you see founders encounter? And for um, intending startup founders who are listening to this right now, how can they avoid some of these mistakes early on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, a you know quite a few different things that can happen. I think one, depending on how early the startup, it's figuring out like, do people really need this product, right? And so once you figure out, you know, do people really need this product? It's what is your path to go get that product built and launched in sort of the fastest way possible to test that that is a, a real area and to sort of launch almost what's a, what, what we call an MVP, right? And an MVP isn't going and trying to build this cool thing. It's, you know, what's the core piece of this? And then how do you sort of go build and launch that and prove that sort of theory that this is needed, wanted, and would be used, and then go build the features and parts onto that after, but try to build something that's already working and that can already move forward. And, you know, we see this problem a lot because as people start to, to, to skip on that or, or sort of spend too long building and not figure out how to, how to launch the fastest way possible or launch an MVP, then they also start to build parts of this that aren't critical. And so oftentimes we're seeing startups build the same thing that's already out there. And, you know, it would just be easier to just integrate someone else's service, someone else's product as an API into yours if it's not the core part of your product and leverage all the work someone else has done as a way to get yours out faster and for it to be better rather than reinventing the wheel and rebuilding on some of these things. So we're seeing that quite a lot. Um, and I think there's a lot of really good products, tools out there, you know, things like Uniblock, where I mentioned where you can just integrate all these other products in, in one go is going to save, you know, hundreds or even thousands of development hours. Being able to do something like that rather than rebuilding all of these things is just going to allow you to get to that end goal faster of launching your MVP, testing it out, and then figure out and get user feedback, right? We, we see too often startups don't go out and talk to their customers, right? Like great founders, great CEOs are going and talking to their customer. I mean, we recommend a minimum of 30 conversations with customers as you're launching your MVP. Find out what they want, figure out what they like and don't like, where do they want to see change? You don't have to build everything they say, right? But like try to figure out patterns across them and then figure out how to prioritize that, right? And and that's very important, right? When you're building what your customers want, it's very clear and you'll start seeing your customers spend more time on that product. They're more willing to pay and they're more willing to invite and tell their friends about it. And so this helps to drive a lot of organic, real growth that's going to be a really strong foundation to then build off of as a company. So those are those are a few things that we see a lot of. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, there's many others, but I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> All right. So um still talking about um startup challenges, but now we I'm gonna ask you a question that's on a more broader term. So um why do you think some startups fail while others with similar ideas succeed? And what have you found separate um the big winners? Yeah, I mean it's it's also a really good question. I mean, some people think it's, you know, a lot of VC funding and and the honest answer is it's not, right? Um great founders can build this thing without VC funding or with very little VC funding um, as long as they've got the passion, the grit, and they really believe and want to drive this, right? And you see all the time great founders that build incredible companies. I mean, MailChimp's a really good example of this that really bootstrap all the way pretty much the entire journey, uh, nearly the entire journey. And so, um, you know, I think that there's uh, a clear, um, you know, hunger in really great founders and a want and a need to build and solve key challenges and solve a problem and make a difference. And that's where VCs can come in and partner and finding those right VCs is important, but that can partner with you, not only on the capital front, but also unlock doors, help unlock, you know, customer doors, other investor doors but also help the business think through like, what are some of the gaps, you know, not only our customers, but your investors can also help you think through, you know, what are some other opportunities? How do we help to upsell this or drive more on this front or 
maybe test this out or change something else. And so if you have a really collaborative, um, you know, whether it's customers or investors or advisors that you can look to, that'll really challenge you and help you grow as a person and as a company, that can really unlock a lot of growth um, for startups and help you avoid a lot of those different pitfalls along the way. Right. So thanks for the great advice. I mean, I also learned something. I mean, in the future, who knows? I might start my own. I might have an idea for a startup. Something, um, something life changing, like the pet idea. Who knows? But <laughs> thanks for that. So I know what to look out for or what not to do. I'll out to, to hearing from you on it. <laughs> so I'll take you on that one of these days. All right. Uh, so let's step aside from fundraising for a bit. Right. So, um, what other critical challenges do blockchain startup founders need to navigate in these early stages, and how should they prioritize? Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's it's something where I mean, there's there's always challenges in anything, right? And if you think running a startup is easy, it's not, right? And if you think it's hard, it's a lot harder than you think it is, right? So you're always going to be running into different challenges along the way. I think the important thing is like staying organized, figuring out a clear path of what are the things you're trying to achieve, one in the long run, but how do you break that down into short and medium run? What are different things that need to happen across operations, marketing, tech, finance? You know, what are those major milestones you're trying to hit in the relatively short run? And what are sort of the things that go into that are all quite, quite critical. Um, and then, you know, mobilizing people around you that can help you do that, right? From team members to advisors to even investors that align with you and understand that and understand where the business is and the challenges and being very transparent. I mean, so even in, in, in my last startup and even with our portfolio companies, in my last startup, I sent updates to my investors every week, you know, and I would write and ask for help specifically on you know, I want intros to X, Y, Z. I need help in this area and I need help in this area. There's no problem asking for help or sharing what challenges you're having. I mean, that's what your team, your advisors and your investors are supposed to be there for, right? And if that doesn't align with what your investors want, they're probably not the right investor for you, right? But being transparent on this, we we have most of our companies, um, you know, provide monthly updates that are very detailed to all of their investors and advisors because, it allows and saves the company a lot of time if an investor or advisor or friend can open up doors, can save you time on relationships might take you, you know, a long time to build or get into the right spot, but someone else could just make a quick intro that already knows someone really well and save you 20 hours, 30 hours on these different things or, you know, intro you to a potential really big client or things like this. So being able to mobilize that is is very important. So I think making sure that you're always open to ask for help and and then, you know, capitalizing on that. Great. So um, let's talk about um, struggles that startups often face. So startups often struggle to scale from a small core user base to mainstream adoption. It's something we've, we've seen played out um, over and over and over again. So what strategies or approaches have you seen work well for blockchain projects, especially to gain traction? It's a, it's a good question. I, I think actually the problem in reality is, is even before that first part, because I think you mentioned having a small core user base. I think it's actually very important to build a very strong core user base, but a lot of blockchain companies, I think, try to skip that and they're trying to go to mainstream adoption but they don't actually figure out that people really want to use their product and need their product. And it does make their life better, right? Or easier. And so because that value is not there, oftentimes these companies, you know, basically try to offer some incentives. They see a very big growth spurt and then it falls to zero. So that's actually the more common story, I would say, in the Web3 space. But I think being able to build a very strong core user base is actually then much, much easier to scale and grow up. You create a product where, you know, a hundred people, a thousand people or 5,000 people love it. They need it. They use it. They're going to tell their friends about it. And you're already going to be growing fairly well organically off of that user base. Right. And so that's already a, a big accomplishment is finding, you know, a thousand super users that love your product and they're going to be champions for you and ambassadors for you. 
And so if you can figure that out, then when you start doing other things like marketing or you start, you know, starting spending money on like whether it's ads or influencers or even like, you know, participating in more events and podcasts and, you know, finding out where your key users are and how to approach them. Maybe it's better content and SEO. You know, when you start doing those things, it is a lot more effective because you know that people love your product. You know that you've solved like retention problems and make sure that people will stay within the product and will come back to the product and all of those different problems that happen. Um, what you sort of figure that out, it's just a lot easier to scale as a company, um, you know, and grow that user base. So I think getting to that core core user base is very critical. Once you're there, it's actually a lot easier. Um, what I'm getting from this is that uh, most people they tend to skip being, uh, having a core user base, and then everybody wants to, uh, uh, everybody wants to go mainstream. If I should put it in a Nigerian English language, we say everybody wants to blow in quote. <laughs> everybody wants the eye, everybody wants the crowd, they want the fanfare, and everything. At the end of the day, it's back to zero. So it's actually important to grow your core user base because that is how you're going to grow organically and then get your own, um, get your own users and consumers and everything. So if you are listening to this, don't keep growing your user base just for the eye or because of the fact that you want to be out there. I mean, these things take time. And uh, even if you are not, if not gone mainstream in a year or two years, it's still fine. So far, you have your own people, you have your own users who are dedicated and who love what you are doing. So um, let's talk about um, macro factors like um, regulation and market conditions. Obviously, these things, they affect startups, right? For, um, when the beer, beer market was um, sometimes last year, if I'm correct, when everything came crashing down and people were losing their, their investments left and right, it obviously affected um, a lot of startups. But it did affect the startup I was working with as at that time, but they had to lay off everybody because um, the, the, the CEO had only uh, point, big point and he was struggling to pay salaries and everything. So he had to let um, lots of people go. So obviously that has affected our startup. And right now they're mostly struggling to to get back up. So what um what micro factors or internal decisions really impact their odds of success? Yeah, I mean, I, I would actually say that, you know, there's always gonna be investors out there that, you know, will align with a vision. If you can sort of put in the effort, put in the work to, you know focus on those core things that matter, which is, you know, building out your product, making sure it's needed and people love it. And then going and getting, you know, initial users, clients, building up, you know, some initial validation point, like there will be investors that'll continue to go back that if you can do it with, on a very lean budget, there are people that are willing to give you a shot, you know, with capital and help you bring in more capital around that to, to help sort of see that through to fruition. So, I think all of this noise that happens, whether it's, you know, regulation, whether it's a lot of these scams, frauds, all of these different things that have happened in the crypto space and many other industries, you know, I think you got to just ignore all of that and just keep building great products. And we're seeing so many founders just that have built incredible things over the last year, year and a half, two years through this period. And you know, I would say that they are getting recognized and, you know, they're able to raise capital. And now you're seeing more and more investors deploying again into great startups like this, right? And, you know, for us, we're oftentimes investing in startups that have no other investors even in it yet, right? Because we have high conviction. If we see, you know, founders doing really great things, we're happy to go be the first VC to write a check to it. Um, and we're happy to help mobilize and bring in other investors around great companies. And so, you know, I think, I think just focusing on doing the right things that matter that you can control, not worrying about, you know, all of the noise out there, um, you know, what's happening with Bitcoin price, et cetera. Like that doesn't matter if you're working on building a great startup, um, Obviously, if you're in a more regulated market and it's a product that should be regulated, like sure, regulation will matter. But for the vast majority of startups, you know, if you're not in the U.S., probably U.S. regulation doesn't doesn't matter as much if you're not focused on that market, right? Like, 
So even though a lot of people are talking about these things or over-focused on some of these things, I think it's just about, you know, continuing to go build great things and, and that customer's love and that, that's still the, the secret sauce, I think, to success. Yeah. Yeah. That last line, just build something that people will love and then you're on your way to start up. Is that right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so um, as someone involved in both the startup and VC world, what do you look for when evaluating startup investment opportunities? Because I mean, there are things you look out for. You have like um, things you have to tick off your list, and um, and then when when a startup pitches to you, and then you're looking at these things, you're looking out for these things, and then oh yeah, then this is nice. The ticket of your list, they did the ticket of your list. What actually gets you excited to want to invest? It's a it's a great question. I think I think like for me, it's really seeing a founder that's, you know, hustling, understands where they want to go. They might not have all the answers, right? But like they understand where they're trying to go. They're passionate about really solving this problem. And you can sort of see that passion that they want to achieve it at any cost, right? And I think that's like very important for, you know, great founders to be able to like dig deep and like really want to solve something and then work on figuring out how, right. And figuring out that path and even being able to ask questions and being transparent and coachable. Um, I think those things are all very critical for me and it's not your typical answer, I think, but you know, we like seeing founders that are very coachable that can show that they're working hard and building certain aspects, but willing to pivot, willing to change things, willing to take other introductions, you know, um, think about a different type of market or different persona that might be the right one for this product to launch with. And so I think those things are all very important when we're looking at, um, you know, investing in startups. And, you know, if you can show that you're very prudent with resources in this market. You're able to start growing and do things even without much of a budget. Like, I think that's exciting for a VC to say, hey, like, let's provide them a budget and see what they can do. If they could already do XYZ with limited budget or no budget, what can they do with, you know, with a million bucks as an example, right? Or half a million bucks or two million bucks or five million bucks. And so, that I think is a, a really good sign when you can already show that you're doing a lot more than what people would expect with a with a lean budget. Um, and I think that gets a lot of people excited, including us. And if you could do something great with a lean budget, then I'm confident I can actually do a whole lot more with a, uh, with a bigger budget. Right? Nah. Those make sense. You actually inspire me to want to start a career as a VC. I mean, where do I sign off to be here? <laughs> We, we can talk about it offline. <laughs> okay. So this conversation has been inspiring me like, okay, I mean, should I take a step back from marketing for a minute and then just become a venture capitalist? All right. <laughs> okay. Um, so are there any blockchain startups you've invested in or advice that you think have been particularly well executed? What do you think they did right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's many, many examples. I mean, I'll give you I'll give you a couple, right? Um, and people thought we were a little crazy when we started looking at AI and blockchain and gaming back in 2019, right? This is well before AI was hot. And, you know, we're on the founding cap table of a company called Altered State Machine. And Altered State Machine, the goal here was essentially to bring AI into the gaming world uh, and with blockchain. And so, you know, People didn't get it. People thought this was a little bit crazy. And we were looking at this more like there's so many possibilities. We can see, you know, many use cases from, you know, uh, intelligence in gaming to, you know, even NPC characters in gaming. And even think about like the uniqueness of characters in gaming, right? So think about how humans are unique and there's DNA. You could have the same aspect in gaming where everything is unique and everything evolves and develops in unique ways. And it's all machine learning and AI. And so, you know, we we were fascinated by this and got involved with Futureverse or uh, with, with ASM, with Altered State Machine off the bat. Anyways, fast forward recently, they were acquired by Futureverse. Um, and, you know, Futureverse raised $54 million recently. It was one of the biggest raises in Web3. 
uh, for the year. And, uh, you know, we recently launched the first AI football league with FIFA. Um, and this has been a huge hit. Uh, there's many other really, really cool products that they've launched, many that are in the pipeline to launch. But, you know, this, I think, is starting to transform not only the industry, but I think gaming as a whole is going to start changing with AI being integrated all across the board. Um, and companies like Futureverse are going to lead the way uh, here as well. So really, really cool company to, to keep, keep an eye on. I think another really good example of a company that just closed their Series A is Lunar Crush. And uh, Lunar Crush has developed a lot of really cool things. So it's already the top sentiment analysis tool in Web3. I mean, more than half a million users a month are using uh, Lunar Crush for analytics, sentiment. I mean, they analyze tens and tens of millions of social media posts a day. But what they've invented, which I think is really cool, is they invented something called social search. So think about, you know, when you use Google, you know, it, it's basically searching based on the way that Google's organizing this information. It's leveraging, you know, maybe what region you're in and what might be more relevant. But like based on like region and, and SEO, but imagine, you know, search that's organized based on like popularity and like social metrics. And so it's a completely different way to think about it, but it's aggregating everything across, you know, TikTok, Instagram, and all the other sort of social media to sort of give you information based on what's the most popular from a social setting. And I think that actually aligns more with what you're seeing from, say, Gen Z right now. Um, and so this is actually a really cool concept to be able to do that all across any of these platforms, but in the social way. So there's a lot of really, really cool things that I think we're seeing, um, and that's sort of part of the reason why they recently raised, you know, a, a Series A that was led by Tim Draper. Oh, wow. That, that's great. That's impressive. <laughs> All right. So um, taking a bigger picture here, what do you think the next major phase of evolution will be for blockchain and Web3? And how do we see this technology making an impact globally over the next decade? Yeah, I mean, this is this is sort of goes back to some of the things that, that we were talking about, right? But I think this technology is at the core of all value in a digital world. And so there's a lot of things that need to get out of mock, right? Like when people see NFTs, they see JPEGs and images, but this is the first way in human history to track ownership in a digital world. Like this is game changing, right? And people just don't realize what this technology fully is, right? Like when you think about, you know, in our physical worlds, we track ownership of everything from property rights to just personal belongings and all sorts of other things. Like, you know, and 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 over the last 20, 30 years, we've gone from spending zero percent of time in the digital world to now 50%, 60%, 70%, depending on who you ask. I mean, that trajectory is not changing. So, you know, in what world do we not need to track ownership in a digital world? Like this is core to human existence and in the way that we look at things. So there's a lot of things here that I think are getting overlooked. There's a lot of hype with new technology and sometimes it gets mixed in with, you know, certain bad actors. But I think the underlying technology here is and will change the world in many different ways. And so we're going to see it at the core of things like social search or, you know, pets on chain. And at, at some point, it's going to be all health records probably on chain in some ways. But of course, it needs to maintain privacy. So ZK is a really big thing. I mean, you're seeing government overreach in a lot of different places where ZK is making a lot of sense. You're seeing, you know, instability of currencies across a lot of different emerging markets. Um and you're going to see more and more action towards being able to invest in assets that you otherwise wouldn't have access to that are potentially uh, pegged by a different underlying currency. Or maybe it's even going to be a trade currency at some point that's not pegged to any specific government. Who knows, right? But I think there's a lot of opportunity here with value being transacted on chain and to be able to de-risk a lot of these existing risks that exist in, say, local markets, regional markets or even the inability to access certain products that are now going to be more and more democratized across the board. 
And I think in fintech and banking, you're going to see, I think, a big leapfrog on the fact that there's a billion people that can't get banking. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are even underbanked, let alone just not banked at all. And I think blockchain and Web3 solve these problems over time by using more innovative ways to create access to borrowing, lending, and savings products. And so I think you're going to start to see that more and more uh, over time as a, as a bypass to some of the traditional systems that are out there. Right. So um, thanks for that. So what I'm getting from this is that um, there's still uh, enough time for new things to come up and then the future is looking good for blockchain and work three. And um, I mean, I'm positive about the space. I'm positive about the industry, and I, I can't. I honestly can't wait to see great, great things pop up. People with amazing ideas and doing great things, and then especially the complexities that surrounds using Web three and understanding it. I can't wait for it to be as easy as ABC in the future, so we can have more people on our side. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ali, for an insightful and exciting conversation. It was so great learning so much from me. This was really inspiring. Like I learned so much myself. And um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I could say thank you all day. (laughs) Thank you so much. Today's conversation was really, really exciting. my pleasure. And, you know, if you are building a, a great startup out there and you want us to take a look, feel free to reach out to me directly on, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, or even visit our website and share info with us. And we do look at every single company that shares info with us and we'll definitely, you know, reach out and be in touch. All right. There you have it, guys. So um, I will be linking Ali's social media, LinkedIn social media um, profile. In the, in the episode description so you can reach out to him and learn more or you can pitch your startup. And that wraps up today's episode of the Weekly Feedback Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you have any feedback or questions, please reach out on social media or send me an email at webflipfeedbacks at gmail.com. And thanks again to our guests for joining us and thank you listeners for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more exciting content so be sure to subscribe and tune in. Bye.